Scripture reading and prayer. Mark 10, 28 through 31. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Uh, you may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> if you aren't already there, if you weren't there when Scripture was just being read, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to talk some more about Mark, and I'm just going to try and get this out of the way, get rid of some distractions. I forgot to point out the other big distraction, which is right above me. Um, we have a roof leak, clearly. And uh, Russ, I don't know if any of you guys know Russ, um, he's actually part of both churches, he works for like, we call it Central, which is like, he helps out both churches, and he's been trying to find somebody to do the roof, but all the companies are calling are like, we will not do that at any cost. <laughs> so I don't know if it's something about the pitch of our roof, but if you know somebody who does roofing, please come talk to me, <laughs> we need to get a new roof. So uh, anyways, I want to point that out so that we can mention it and then forget about it, so there you go. Um, why don't we pray? <clears throat> Jesus, you said that without you we can do nothing. And even so, right now, Lord, without you I cannot preach. And without you we cannot hear what you have to say to us. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would get the things out of the way that keep us from you. Please, Lord, we need you to do this for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a, uh, we live in a dangerous world. A dangerous uh, and difficult world. There isn't a day that goes by in your life, I think, where you don't experience some level of anxiety, of hurt, of concern, of worry over what's happening. And right now in our, our time, you know, like there, there's so many reasons to be anxious. I mean, if you pay any attention at all to the news cycle, that's, that's what they're going to feed on is, is your fear of what's happening. But we, we do have these legitimate concerns about life, about ourselves and those we love, you know about our children? Should we send them to public school or not? Before it was over curriculum, now it's like, are schools even safe? Or you might be concerned about the, the rising cost of living and, and rising inflation and whether or not you're going to ever be able to afford a house or whether or not you're going to lose your house or whether or not you'll have a future, your kids will have a future. You might be worried about political strife, whatever it is. But I just want to point out that we as human beings, we have this natural tendency to be concerned about our lives and about those we love. And that's okay. That's, that's a good thing. Jesus knows about those things. And I think it's important also to mention that the world we live in is not necessarily unique in that regard. The world into which Jesus was born was actually far worse than ours. And I'm not saying that to say, you know, suck it up, buttercup. They've, somebody else has it worse than you. So, well, you know what? You can handle it. That's not why I'm bringing that up. 
You know, in our world, we're concerned about our future, but in the one that Jesus grew up in, you could have Roman soldiers pound down your door and haul away your kids off and sell them into slavery, and there was very little you could do other than get in the way and get yourself killed. Okay? It was a, it was a much, much more difficult existence that they had than ours. And once again, I'm saying that not to berate us for our concern, but to say that Jesus understands our concern when he speaks these seemingly really, really hard words to us, right? So the, the last week we were talking about Jesus talking to the, um, the, the wealthy man, the rich young ruler, we call him, who had, who had success in life. He had everything that you could hope for and dream for. He was wealthy. He, had, he was well-to-do. He was well-connected, and he still knew something was missing, and he came to Jesus and said, what's that? What is it that I'm missing? What is it that I'm lacking? And Jesus tells him, get rid of everything, sell it all, give everything to the poor and come and follow me. That's a really hard thing, that's a really difficult pill to swallow. Get rid of everything that provides you security, that gives you connection to other people, that makes you well-to-do, that makes you well-off. Get rid of all of it. What am I going to do, Jesus? How am I going to eat? How's my family going to be taken care of? These are legitimate questions. Jesus isn't, isn't ignorant of that when he asks this of the man. Just like he isn't ignorant of that when he asks Peter and James, for example, in Mark chapter 1, or Peter and Andrew and James and John in Mark chapter 1. Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew, and they're at their job, they're at work, and he says, hey, leave your work and come follow me. It's like coming to you in the middle of your job, you know, you're in the middle of doing whatever it is you're doing, and he's like, hey, walk out. <laughs> Just walk out. No two weeks, no uh, am I going to get a severance, nothing. Just walk out right now. He's saying that to somebody who lives in a world that's racked with anxiety. He knows that there's questions that come up. And we know Peter, because Jesus healed his mother-in-law, Peter was married. And so he has to walk out on his family in some sense. Same with James and John. They're sitting there with their dad, and Jesus says, walk out on your dad. That would have felt uh, like an enormous slap in the face to their dad. So Jesus has these Uh, hugely challenging things to say. And sometimes we can soften that by thinking like, oh, it was easy for them. It wasn't. So when Jesus challenges us with these same things, he's aware that the cost is high. He's aware of that. And nevertheless, he issues the challenge. Now, we are, uh, the, the last passage ended with the rich young ruler walking away sad because he couldn't do what Jesus asked. He couldn't give up himself, his livelihood, the things that he had, his connections to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, because it's really hard for someone with a lot of wealth and connections to make it in. In fact, it's impossible. The disciples said, yeah, it's impossible. If the people who are doing it the best can't make it, what chance do we have? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for everything is possible with God. And then Peter pipes up and he says this in verse 28. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you, right? He's like, okay, that guy couldn't do it, but we did it, Jesus. We did it. We left everything. You know what's hidden behind this statement? He's actually, he's actually saying, Jesus, we did it. What's in it for us? You know, like, well, we did it. So what are we going to get? Like, what, what is in it for us? What is there to gain? What's the payoff? Is it really worth it? I mean, you're calling us to something, and we've left a lot. What's in it 
for us. Now, this is a natural thing to ask, especially um, given the things that they've given up. Now, I just want to take a, hopefully this will be brief, and just sort of review why this was so significant for them, why this was such a, an enormous sacrifice. They're, in their world, they didn't view human beings and themselves the way we do. We largely see ourselves as, um, as a bundle of individuated, individual automatons who are kind of like doing our own thing and we kind of run into each other, but we're, there's no essential connection between us as human beings. For them, that was not the case at all. Um, our primary loyalty is to ourselves because we think of ourselves as individuals. Theirs was to their tribe or their clan or their family or whatever because they saw themselves as embedded in a community. There is no me without the relationships around me. I'm not saying that to condemn either one. I'm just saying it's different. The greatest way to, to illustrate this is probably with marriage, right? So what, how do we view marriage? Well, we see ourselves as isolated individuals. I have a whole bunch of needs and hopes and fears and dreams and desires, and so does everyone else. And so if I meet someone and my dreams and hopes and desires are all met by this person, and that feeling is mutual, their dreams and desires are met by me, well, then you tie the knot, right? You get the knot tied, you get married, that's what marriage is for, this sort of fulfillment of the individuals in it. Consequently, that's why divorce is easy, because as soon as you lose the person fulfilling all those things in you, well, it doesn't seem like the marriage is working anymore. In their society, you didn't get married for love, you didn't get married for having your needs met or whatever. You, largely, your needs were met by your family and your tribe. You weren't, you weren't out there trying to find this one individual who's going to satisfy all these things in you. Um, so why did you get married? Well, you largely got married because of the family. A lot of it was arranged marriage, right? Your, your parents say, we have kids. They look at another family. They have kids. Hey, you know what? If our kids got married, we could combine our resources. We're going to do what is best for the family. So their primary loyalty was to the family. And consequently, the primary loyalty was actually not to their spouse. It was to their immediate family. And this is why you see, you know, the, the, from the recordings that we have, it's largely of well-to-do people. But very often, well-to-do people, when they're forced with a decision between their spouse and their sibling or someone else in their family, they choose the family like every single time. And when they don't, it's scandalous. The primary relationship for them was not the marriage relationship. It was actually the sibling relationship. And if you want some evidence for that, I mean, look at Peter and Andrew and James and John. They come together. They're like, we're going to leave our dad. We're going to leave our family. We're not going to leave each other, right? Um, this happens over and over and over again in Scripture. What is, why is Cain and Abel such a, such a horrific story? Because it's brother killing brother. And you see this repeated over and over again in Scripture. You have Jacob deceives his brother Esau. You're supposed to be horrified, mortified by that, because siblings don't do that to each other. So when Jesus asked them, when Jesus asks the wealthy man, we ask people to, to leave their family, he's asking something of them that it's, it's not really possible to say, leave this one thing in our world, and it would be an equivalent. It's just too much. So the sacrifice is total, really, what Jesus is saying. Leave everything. And all those questions that you have in leaving this, like, like for them it would be, well, who am I? Where am I going to be accepted? Because to leave my family, to be disloyal to my family is to reap dishonor upon myself. Who's going to respect me? Who's going to invite me in? Who's going to take care of me? How am I going to have a sense of honor and dignity in my life anymore? It's gone. So there you go. There's the cost. Hopefully that was brief enough. Um, so the next thing, the payoff. Jesus talks about the payoff. 
Jesus, what's in it for us? We did it. Verse uh, 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters. Note again, how does he start? Brothers and sisters. Brothers or sisters, or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Jesus says, hey, you'll be returned. Whatever you leave behind, it will be returned to you a hundredfold. Now, it might be tempting to take a uh, sort of uh, really shallow look at this and say, you know, Jesus, actually it doesn't work that way because if, uh, if I leave my brother uh, and I get a hundred, you know, people in this church who are like, oh, I'll be your brother for you. You know, I have, a, I have a brother who's a pilot. Let's say his plane goes down, he dies. And say 10 of you are like, I'll be your brother for you. That's not exactly the same thing, is it? So Jesus is not so naive as to think that you could just gather some other people and that will be, you know, the return to you. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus actually has a, a number of teachings on family that just, just so you know, I, I'm going to sort of pit us in a little pickle on, on what Jesus teaches, okay? So on the one hand, Jesus has some very pro-family things to say, right? We just had a couple of them here in chapter 10 where he talks about marriage, and you can't just leave your spouse if you're unhappy. The conditions for which divorce happens are very, very minimal, which means you've got to honor your spouse, honor your spouse. He also mentions honoring children. And Jesus, later on, in, in another story, he's talking with some Pharisees, and he says, you guys neglect the law of God for your own laws. And the reason why, he says, is because if people save money to take care of their parents in their old age, that is to honor their parents, you tell them that if they give that money to the temple, then they're released from their obligation to care for their parents. So the, the greater law, the greater rule is to honor your parents than to give money to the temple. That's what he's saying. So Jesus has these very pro-family things to say. And then he has these kind of anti-family things to say, right? Unless you hate your father and your mother and your sister and your brother, you can't be my disciple. Or he also says to a guy, he says, Jesus, I really want to follow you, but my dad just died. Let me go bury him, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. So Jesus, you, do you feel the tension here? Do you feel the tension between like, okay, Jesus, if I want to follow you, do I, do I honor my family? Or do I honor my obligations and responsibilities to my family? Or do I leave my family and let them be taken care of by somebody else in order to follow you? Which is it? So there's a little bit of tension here. And just so you know, I mean, it gets even worse the further you get into the New Testament. You know, Paul says things like, if a man doesn't take care of his family, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. So that's, pretty, that's some pretty solid, like, hey, you need to take care of your family stuff. Walking out doesn't seem like it's a, a great option. So there's this tension. There's this tension between how we care for our family and how we follow Jesus. At least it's an apparent tension. We'll get back to that. What's going on here? What is Jesus calling, calling them into? Why is he trying to sort of break the linkage, break the loyalty to family as he's calling people to himself? Well, I think the, the most important thing to look at is that this is part of Jesus' mission. Part of Jesus' mission is to actually build a family. 
is to create a family, a new family. Part of God's mission early on was to rescue humanity from our sin. And he did that through a man named Abraham and said, in you and in your seed, in your children, that is the people of Israel, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in so doing, God was trying to create a family for himself here on earth. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. By the way, if you're not doing anything at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings, I'm leading a Bible study through Ephesians. And this is a preview of coming attractions for those of you who are coming and those of you who might come. So that's just a shameless plug for you there. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about this fact. He, he talks about the fact that you had the Jews, who were the descendants of Abraham, and you have the Gentiles, who were distant. And these were two separated people, distant from one another. And in Christ, Jesus tore down this wall of separation, dividing the two so that he could make one people, the people of God. And he says this in verse 19 of chapter 2. Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's saying you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, that would be the Jews, and members of the household of God. Household, the family of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The Lord wants to dwell on earth, and he does so by dwelling in his people. And he wants that family, that building, to grow and expand. This is part of his mission. And just so you know, it's not, it's not simply uh, something that, a, a novel idea that God has come up with. It's been his plan from the beginning. If you turn over another page to chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul says this in verse 6. He says, this mystery, he's talking about a mystery, which in the Bible, a mystery is something that is hidden. It's, it's not something that's incomprehensible necessarily, but it's something that's hidden. You don't actually know what's there until a certain time when it's revealed. So in verse 6, Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, here you go, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that God, or that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. You catch that. God has an eternal purpose for creation. And that purpose is to build for himself a family called the church, that that family itself would manifest the wisdom of God to the heavenly places. That's God's plan. It's a huge plan, and you get to take part in it. See, what Jesus is doing is not just saying like, hey, come and follow me, leave all that stuff behind. He's actually inviting you into something huge, something massive. The biggest thing that has ever happened is what God is inviting us into, right? Imagine, like, okay, so 
don't know if you saw this. A few years ago, there was this mini-series show, documentary sort of thing called The Last Dance. Did anybody see that? Okay, three people saw it. Um, <laughs> it's Portland. I don't, I don't expect it anymore. But it's about the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. You know, the legendary team that won like five or six championships or whatever. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, all these guys. Well, I was a, I was a teenager and a, and a, a preteen or whatever during that time. So I was just like, this is awesome. This is this is so cool. What if Michael Jordan was to call you and be like, hey, this is the last dance. It's our last year. I want you on the team. I would be like, I don't, even if I don't get playing time, I will ride the pine. Give me a jersey. I'll ride the pine. I want to be in on that. I want to be there. Or maybe, maybe sports isn't your thing, but everybody's got their favorite band, right? Everybody's got their favorite band. Maybe it's the Beatles. Maybe it's Creed. I was just talking to someone. Maybe it's Creed. No takers, no takers. Maybe it's Kid Rock, I don't know. But everybody's got a favorite band. Let's just say uh, your, your favorite band, they call you up. Our drummer spontaneously combusted. Uh, spinal Tap reference. <laughs> Our drummer spontaneously combusted. We want you to join us on tour, going to the shows, being on the bus, getting the interviews, the magazine covers, everything. I want you in. Would you be going like, oh man, but you know what? I really, I got, really got to give up. You know, I, I really have this sewing club on Tuesday nights that I really got to go to. You know? But you wouldn't be like that. You'd be going, no, this is a great opportunity. I'm taking it. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what Jesus is inviting them into. And just so you know, once again, his care and his, his, his love for you, knowing the cost... Think about this. Think about Jesus is so dead set on this plan, so dead set on this mission to have you in his family that what does he do? He leaves his family in heaven. He takes on human flesh. He has a sort of relationship with his father that he's never had before, where he's limited by becoming human. Not only that, but he leaves his earthly family too. Remember there's one point where his family comes and they say, Jesus is crazy. He's out of his mind. We got to go rescue him. And Jesus says, no, I've got a family right here. He left his earthly family. Not only that, but when he is arrested, his family abandoned him. The family he was making on earth, the disciples, they abandoned him. And he goes to the cross and he suffers and dies for all of them, for you and I. And the work didn't end there because not only did he raise from the dead, but right now he's preparing a place for his people, for this family that's always been part of his plan, is to prepare a place for us all to have fellowship together with him, to join him forever and ever. That's his plan. That's what he's inviting us into. And if he's willing to do all of that for us, could we give up some things for him? Could we do that for him? How much love must he have to do all that for, for us who forsake him? We're wanting so many other things that aren't him. Jesus wants you that bad. How badly do you want him? How badly do you want this? So I'm going to stop right there and move into, I guess, summarizing. Jesus asks for everything. Jesus asked them for everything. He asked us for everything. And you might be thinking, okay, well, we still have not solved that dilemma, Josh, of like, what? do I be faithful to my family or do I follow Jesus? We haven't solved that tension. And that's true. 
that tension will probably ultimately never be resolved. But I will tell you this. Unless Jesus comes to you in a flesh and blood human form, he's actually like right here, eyeball to eyeball, and he says, leave your family and come after me like he did with Peter and his disciples, your obligation to Jesus is to be faithful to your family. Okay, so if, if you come to me and you're like, I think Jesus is calling me to abandon all my responsibilities in my family, I will say, bring me to this Jesus who's telling you this. Uh, Jesus was doing something very unique in his time with these special few individual people. This is not a call for everyone to abandon your family, so just so you know that. The point is that your allegiance, we all have this sense of allegiance to things, primarily to ourselves, but also to our family. And we want to do what's best for ourselves and for those that we love. And that's what we're seeking to do with most of our time and energy of our life. And what Jesus is saying is that agenda must be superseded by the agenda that I have. This whole family plan thing of including people in, which means that the first way that you will be faithful to your family is by bringing them to Jesus, bringing them into his family. In fact, Loving and caring for and introducing your family, bringing them to Jesus, is the way to be faithful to Jesus and be faithful to your family. It's not, it's not extraordinarily complex, except for some of the time. It's kind of like being a citizen. Like, how, how, how do I manage my loyalty to this nation and my loyalty to Jesus? Well, for the most part, that means you just you be a good citizen in your nation. Now, from time to time, there will be rivalries between what your nation asks of you and what Jesus asks for you, of course. But the same will happen with your family, right? So we, just, just as an example, the Wilder household, one of the things that I want to do is I want to teach our children that our life, that we Wilders are not about our own good. That's not our primary end. That's a secondary objective on the way to the primary objective which is faithfulness to Jesus, bringing people to him. So we as a family, yes, of course, we want to have our needs met. We want to feel safe and secure, of course. But we're only doing that on the way to be a light to the nations, a light to those around us, a light to those in the park that we meet, our neighbors around us. We exist for them. We don't just exist for us. And so we do things like we're, we're on the meal train. We have our kids help us prepare a meal and go with us to take a meal to somebody. We invite people. We had, we had a missionary living with us for a time. We want our kids to see that our resources are not just for us to enjoy by ourselves, but to be shared and given with others. That's what it means to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to your family at the same time. We all have this pull. You know, the, the needs in your family are great, and the people in your family are going to say, I need this, I need this, I want this. And sometimes you need to say no because that agenda is competing with the agenda of Jesus. You have to analyze, is, is this a, a legitimate G need that Jesus is asking us to fulfill for our family? Or is this just us getting more square footage? Or us being in a more desirable location? You know, there is this pull in us. The needs of the family can get so great that it's like, well, unless I have this big of a house and I live in this zip code and I drive these kinds of cars and have these levels of comfort, then I'm not really taking care of my family. The truth is that the mission, the plan of God to go and love and include and bring in people is so much bigger than our little plans. We have such little plans. And so often, we're, we get scared. You know, the older you get, as you, as you start to have things, you start to acquire things. The agenda switches from actually going about life, enjoying life with God, to protecting what you have. 
don't know if you guys have read The Hobbit. If you haven't, you should, after you read the Bible, of course. <laughs> but if you're familiar with The Hobbit, it's a story about a hobbit named Bilbo. And at the beginning, Bilbo loves his little hobbit hole and his little hearth, and he wants to just stay warm and cushy next to his hearth, and he doesn't want any of his dishes to get dirty or broken, and he just wants to work in his garden. He doesn't want anything muddling with his perfectly wonderful little life. But what happens to Bilbo? He gets invited on an adventure. He actually goes out somewhere, and he meets wizards and dragons and dwarves and elves, and we're probably not going to meet any of those people. But he goes out, and he's expanded by this experience. He hears stories and songs and becomes part of a bigger story and a bigger song. And he comes home and he's changed, he's different, and everybody thinks he's a weirdo. But he is, he's become something so much more than he was by just hugging to the, clinging to the things that he thinks are his and that are going to get taken away. I feel like so often we get so concerned with maintaining, with hanging on, that we're unwilling to embrace this adventure that Jesus is inviting us into. Life is a journey. It's an adventure. Follow Jesus into it. It's full of excitement. So if you're hearing me and you're, and you're thinking, that sounds nice. <laughs> I'd like to do that. Maybe I'd like to do that. I can tell you right now, come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you know what? Maybe I've been following you for a while and it kind of just feels kind of like a, a, a drudge. It's just kind of the same thing. I read my Bible because it's what I'm supposed to do every day. But I'm not really feeling much. I challenge you. I'm going to challenge you right now to do this. This week, make it your prayer every single day, as often as you can think of it. Pray and say this. God, show me how your loving arms are wrapping themselves around me today. Show me how you are enfolding me with your love today. And look for it. Have you got food? Have you got shelter? Are you warm enough? Do you have friends? Do you have family? What do you have? How is God's love enfolding you right now? You will see that God has been pursuing you and loving you this whole time. And this invitation to more is open to you again. It's open to you every single day. So even if you're hearing me and you're like, man, I, f I feel terrible because I don't do that. I don't follow Jesus in this adventure. I've really been like, you know, just trying to like make sure that I've got it okay and my family's got it okay. Okay, that's fine. You know what? Today you can say, I want the adventure. I want the more today. I want to be on your agenda today. We're sinners. We're going to fall. We're going to forget. But you know what? Today we can say, Jesus, show me again. Jesus, show me again how much you love me. Show me your plan. And you know what else we can do? We can talk to each other about that. We can talk to each other about that. We can talk about how we're struggling, how we're failing, how we're succeeding. And as we talk about it and share with one another, our hearts are going to start burning with love and we're going to find that adventure more and more desirable. So talk to Jesus about it and talk to each other about it. Amen?